This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week, I'm joined by Jay Pedersen. Jay is a independent consultant working with a number of our members in the DMV community uh, about the issue of contact centers. And I'm chatting with him because we are here in St. Louis at the Contact Center pop-up classroom. Jay, welcome to the Amvacast. Yeah, thank you, Ian. Glad to be here. So uh, your background in contact center, working with customers, uh, you, largely in the private sector, Sometime in the last year or two or three, you could you could tell me all of a sudden something hits the radar that says, "Oh, the DMV community is talking about this." Yes. Uh, so just to just to give you a little bit on my background, so I come with uh, over thirty years of experience in the IT industry. Mm. Um, I've been with the likes of some of the big ones like Hewlett Packard, Compaq Computer, uh, AT and T, Sun Microsystems. Most recently, though, uh, Cisco Systems. Okay. And uh, that was really my, my gig in the last 16 years. Uh, then just uh, when COVID started, I kind of thought, hey, this is a good time to kind of branch off on my own. Yeah, put out your shingle. Yeah, so I kind of uh, branched off on my own and realized uh, almost immediately that there was a big need in the California DMV, which is mm-hmm. where I first got connected. Um, Steve Gordon, who was yep. the director there, we are old colleagues from Cisco, and he had some areas where he said, look, Jake, could really use your help. And that's how I got started in this with, uh, with all that. So when he called and said, hey, I really need your help, there's yeah. things we've done in the past I think would translate to the public sector. Initial reaction, no, government's too different, it's a different animal, or oh, this could be an interesting connection. Well, what I did was I asked him, I said, hey, you know, tell me why you think I would be a good fit. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, look, when we're dealing with the public, it really is dealing like with consumers. And yeah. the work and experience that you did with Linksys, as an example, I, mm-hmm. I managed the Linksys business uh, services organization for over seven years. And he said, it's a lot of similarities in that. And the, the, the operating efficiencies and the things that you did to put customer measurement systems in place, things like that, uh, we could really use that help. Mm-hmm. And so when you went in and you started looking at California or now, you know, really across the board, uh, I think one of the reasons why we are having this pop-up classroom is because there's been a recognition by the DMV community at large. Some states are doing things very innovative and forward-looking, but in general, they're going, oh, wait a minute, the private sector, whether it's the IT industry or other industries, have really figured a lot of this out already, and maybe we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely correct. I, I think, you know, that there's there's some insights there that, hey, things have shifted from a technology standpoint, but things have shifted too when you look at customers, when you look at millennials, when you look at Gen X. Mm. The, you know, and you, and you look at society today, 
where we, you know, we, we are like an instant gratification society. Yeah. You, you go onto Amazon and you order yep. something, you get it in two days. Yeah. Or less. Uh, or, or tomorrow, <laughs> right? Um, and we're, we get so used to that yeah. that when we do have a bad experience, let's say, with a state agency, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's almost magnified that much more because of what we're used to, what our expectations are. Yeah. And so um, I think there's a recognition that, hey, if we can kind of, and, and just for lack of a better term, kind of copy and paste what private sector does into the government space, um, we could go a long way in terms of uh, driving customer experience. Because mm-hmm. it's that private sector that's creating that, that new expectation. And so the, the customer, and especially the millennials and Gen Zs, uh, perhaps they're less forgiving that government can't do it the way they're used to Amazon or someone else doing it, where maybe previous generations had more of a, you know, could distinguish between the two and maybe gave government a little more forgiveness than some of the younger customers? I think that's absolutely right. I, I think you have, you know, although, you know, there, there are the baby boomers, if you will, yep. like which is, I'm one of those, um, where we've stayed up with technology. But sure. then again, it's been my career. It's been my life. Yeah. Um, but I do have a lot of friends where the expectations, you know, they just kind of don't care. Um, but... Yeah, the younger generation is putting a lot of pressure in the system to, I think, up the game. Yeah. So when we talk about, we throw around this phrase, contact center. Even just defining that, when you get people in the room, sometimes there's different perception as to what what are we talking about in terms of a contact center and managing the customer, all with the end goal of the customer experience, but it's really about managing that customer. So let's start there with your perspective and your experience. What would be your definition of when a organization is looking at standing up or modernizing a contact center? What's the scope of those ones? Sure. You know, in the past, I think we're all used to this idea of call center, yeah. right? I mean, we've all used them through through history, if you will, um, usually for technical support. Um, the The idea of contact center says, again, driven much by the youth. Mm-hmm. Um, other ways I want to contact you. There's other channels. Mm-hmm. I can use my phone, like my yep. cell phone. I want to do a, a, a chat with you via my cell phone uh, because I'm, you know, I'm off in the gym yep. and I want to be able to do it from there. I'm not going to wait till I get home and on a computer, right? Or they want to, you know, at any time be able to peruse your website um, or give you a call from wherever they are. They might be on the road or they might be at home. Um, but I think that multi-channel you know, assessment is really what we mean by contact center. There's multiple ways to be contacted. Mm-hmm. I even talked today at the conference a little bit about, uh, you know, the, the fact that social media, a lot of mm-hmm. customers are airing grievances or asking friends about things like Real ID and things like that out on Facebook mm-hmm. or Instagram or Twitter or other you know, other locations right. than the DMV. Or they might even go to the DMV's social media Or they page. might go to the DMV as well. So... Um, but the but what we need to do is understand where people are going and go and identify yeah. that, be able to bring that information in and still serve them even though they didn't come directly yeah. to us. Now, hopefully by doing so, you'll teach them to come back to us directly. But, um, but that's what we mean by contact centers, that there's just multiple ways. Now, when you think about that, you then have to start thinking about, okay, what are the investments I need to make? And you probably start off with that typical call center like mm-hmm. we've talked about and then you start adding on those other pieces over mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and you do that based on your ability to grow and scale 
and to recognize where you know in what direction your customers are coming from and try to serve that next channel that yeah. next way so even if we start with that first channel that everyone has some version of the the call center even that technology has evolved right has. The, the old days of here's the menu and press the button or even try to speak in what you want and i think i'm going to automatically detect what you need um is already antiquated sure sure yeah so i you know and i i think what people are beginning to recognize is that a lot of solutions have been what I call on-prem solutions. So an entity, an enterprise, or whomever, will try to build that with their IT organization in terms of what they want, what they need. They might pick little pearls out there in the industry to come in and fill a gap, but they program that in themselves and they feel the responsibility to maintain it and keep it up to date. As we know, I mean, when there's budget cuts in companies mm -hmm. and things like that, um, Upgrades for software tend to fall behind, things of that nature, and before you know it, you become antiquated as well. The newer solutions, the newer trends, are basically cloud-based solutions. Mm. So uh, a lot of folks that are recognizing that are making the shift to cloud solutions, recognizing that somebody else is maintaining that software mm -hmm. for me all the time mm -hmm. with a kind of an, you know, an agile, progressive way of keeping those updates going, which keeps me as the customer on the latest and greatest. Mm -hmm. And as long as I'm picking a partner who is well known for that, the chances are I'm always going to be at the latest levels of technology. Not to mention that they're likely to bring solutions that can attach to that that are some of the latest and greatest ideas as well. I may choose to adopt those. I may choose not to. Right. It depends on my business model. But to your point, you can, even if you want to start with one, by using the newer platforms, it's easier to grow and scale Absolutely. without having to piecemeal it together. Yes. I mean, that's the and, and most solution providers recognize the trends that we're talking about. And so they've made it so that their solutions integrate nicely mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with those cloud-based call centers. And so from the customer experience, if I'm calling into a call center, traditional, I'm gonna pick up the phone, try to call somebody, what is that modern experience like that maybe a lot of, on the DMV side, we haven't seen necessarily rolled out? If someone's listening to this podcast and saying, okay, well, what's, what's the difference between the way I call into a DMV now versus if all the DMVs were using updated call center technology, yeah. what, what are some of the key elements of that different experience? Well, I think the first thing is to come in and you would hear natural language uh, support. It would, instead of you know pressing a button, it would say, what are you calling us about today? And it would recognize, you know, whether in this case it's vehicle registration or driver's license issue or whatever. However, spe however specific you get, it recognizes that and can then route your call accordingly based on what it is you asked for. Uh, that said, it could also try to veer you off first in a self-help capability. Mm. We've seen that chatbots can now be integrated in with your IVR system and those chatbots have access to a company knowledge base or an agency knowledge base mm -hmm. that is collecting and understanding what customers are calling about and what those general solutions are. So that chatbot can help you, you know, just by listening to your voice and that natural language selection. Um, just by understanding that, find a lot of times the right answers. If that doesn't, you know, suffice or you don't find your exact answer you're looking for, you can opt to speak with somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, you can, you know, it will then route you to an appropriate individual from that standpoint um, where they would have access to even a broader knowledge base yeah. uh, and capability. So um, I, I talked a little bit about it today, but you could also have the experience 
there's a lot of us that don't like to hang on to the phone, sure. right? So some of the things that you might be hearing in private sector, as an example, is say press one, and you'll reserve your place in line, and we'll give you right. a call back. When, right, the you know, call back as, as, as opposed can. to waiting. Yes. So that call back yeah, now a nice becomes feature. a way of keeping you from hanging on the phone. Yep. Get along with your business and go ahead and pick up when, right. when they call. And in terms of the technology that detects the, the language of what you're looking for, it's certainly, I think, everyone's experience is that it, it's better. It can actually detect what you're listening for. But across sectors, are you seeing people being patient going through that chance or people just getting off phone going, agent, 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 to try to bypass it? I just want to talk to somebody and move forward. Are there any trends in that space? You know, interestingly, what, what I have watched like, for example, with the California DMV, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I've seen there is roughly half of the people who call them opt for self-service. Mm-hmm. And they go ahead and um, they, they are able to take care of their situation via that self-service mechanism. The other half opt to move and speak to an agent. Now, um, there's a small percentage, probably about 20%, that choose to just completely bypass the self-service because they just they want to talk right. to an agent to and I think it. that's an important mechanism you know people today um, get caught in, in an IBR you know conundrum of you know and they just feel this torture yep. treatment of you know being bounced around all over the place and they can't get where they want to which is to talk to someone mm-hmm. and I think you need to have that fallout mechanism to provide the best customer experience and you need to tell the customer up front what that fallout mechanism is yeah. you mentioned chatbots so you're referring to chatbots in that example as more of a behind-the-scenes technology than what I think most people think about chatbots, which is that little box that pops up anytime you go to any website. Right, like, right. hi, I'm Susie. What can I do to help you today? So what? To, tell me a little bit more about the difference between chatbot as a behind-the-curtain technology yeah. versus what I think most people would be familiar with, which is sure. that box that pops up everywhere. From a technology standpoint, they're really pretty much the same mm-hmm. okay so the for example in the California DMV today the chatbot that they use on the website is the same chatbot that they use integrated with the IVR mm. it's just like the man behind the curtain you're not seeing it and it's not texting to you instead it's being done through a natural language support mm. and recognizing your voice voice as you would like if you were talking to Alexa or mm-hmm. you know Google Home or something of that nature so it's that that natural language interaction that's occurring at that point versus what you see on the web. Yeah. Now, one of the features that a lot of places have, and it's it's Ian's personal favorite way to interact with customer contact these days, is the live chat. Give me a live person. I want to talk to somebody because, you know, like everybody, my needs yes. are unique and not unlike anything else, that, right? Which, of course, is not true. But, yeah. you know, you feel that way. You feel that way, um, yeah. And so I still want a live person, but I don't want to be caught up on the phone because I can multitask. So let me chat with a live agent. Okay. How is that fitting into what you're seeing in um, general trends? In contact center and then specifically on the government side yeah so you know I see live chat is being adopted in favor quite frankly of email a lot yeah and one of the reasons for that is because live chat provides you with that back-and-forth immediacy whereas email is one way right so you send an email hopefully it gets answered properly mm-hmm. but you may not have phrased your question exactly with what you matter just depends on mm-hmm. you know exactly what you're asking about so you may get an email back in 24 hours doesn't completely answer it, now you gotta send another one. So yeah. this could take days before you get an answer to your solution. So there's been this shift I've seen to live chat in favor of that. Um, now a lot of 
companies and or state agencies have put the AI chat bot in front of that live chat, mm -hmm. giving you the opportunity to do something from a self-help perspective. Yeah. That said, the best practices tell you right up front, just type the word agent if you need to talk to a live agent right away and we'll yeah. move you to the live chat. Right. And I, I do get the impression though when I do it, though I've generally been happy with it, I always get the impression that that live agent has about nine different chats that they're juggling at the same time. You know, that's that's one of the, the downfalls sometimes on live chat is that you, f you sit there and you ask your question, you're waiting there for five, six minutes before somebody answers what you think is a simple question. Right. And it gets very frustrating at times. Um, yeah, there are some companies because of, you know, labor costs and so forth, they'll try to do three or more chats. Again, what I have found to be kind of the best practice from that standpoint to ensure that there's not a big delay mm -hmm. is no more than two chats. Okay. And that way you're, you're time slicing between two individuals, but that's much more manageable yeah. than multiple. Sure. So you brought it up, AI. Yep. Where does that fit into AI, chat, GPT, all the things we're all reading about that, you know, people just won't be necessary at all anymore because they'll all be automated. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Probably its own podcast in and of itself. There you right, go. Yeah, exactly. AI, well, just, just to give you my perspective yeah. on that, you know, AI has been around much longer than many of us know. Yeah. Um, it, this has been going around for the last almost 20 years, to be honest with you. Now, it's really gained a lot of steam most recently, um, obviously on websites as well as embedded into um, areas like live chat. Mm -hmm. It's also been embedded into the contact center. The contact center AI is meant to try to speed up the time it takes to get a resolution for a given customer. And it's working quite nicely um, when it's coupled with the traditional phone service as well. Mm -hmm. And let me let me explain. There is technology today that can listen to that call, and while you're taking that call and it hears what the customer is asking for, it's already off working and trying to find that information and put it in front of the agent so that the agent can answer them without having to go do a physical search mm. themselves. And so um, that AI technology, again, really is, it's not perfect, um, and I think it will always have its place coupled with, you know, the capabilities of a live individual. Will it completely get rid of the need for live support? I, I don't, not anytime soon, let me yeah. put it that way. And I think there's just too many intricacies, too many, you know, too many variables that come into play as to why you wouldn't want to do that. Not to mention people who have over-rotated in that area in the past, they find their customer experience scores and satisfaction scores dropping. Mm. So it's about learning how to harness it as a tool for the live agent as opposed to replacing exactly. the, the live agent. Absolutely. It's there to complement, not to replace. Yeah. And so when we hear this phrase, chat GPT, we've not brought it up on any of the yep. Evercast podcasts, you know, give everybody the 30-second, you know, poor man's understanding of what that is. Well, in its, you know, in its purity, um, chat GPT just has a way of knowing everything. <laughs> okay, so I mean that's the simplest way I can explain it. It has gone out and has looked at the entire internet, mm. of which you know I think we had a stat of where fourteen percent of what it has is Wikipedia based. Wow. Everything else comes from all of the places. Um, the challenge you obviously have with that is that the internet has some bad stuff on it too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily always correct. Now it has. Um, 
algorithms that go and look at and try to discern fact from fiction by checking it in other places as well, right? So it bounces ideas or you know facts. It kind of does its fact checks by doing that that bouncing around before it determines, okay, this is this is what's going on, yeah. right? Um, and I think you know, so it has a ton of capability in terms of the knowledge that it has. Turning it around now and trying to harness it for very specific solutions, let's say a state-run DMV contact center, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that's a few years off because you, you know you, you, there's a lot of overhead in trying to sift through the world's internet. Mm -hmm. And you'd want to parse that down to only relevant data yep. for you know, that type of a, a solution. So. Uh, we've talked a lot about the outlets and the channels in terms of how to interact with the customer. But the other side of the contact center is managing the customer. Uh, a lot of agencies have spent the last decade modernizing their systems to have a very customer-focused file. So rather than your driver's license information be over here, your vehicle for somewhere else, really having a centralized, what's everything I need to know about this individual person in my system? How, how is that leveraged in a contact center environment where an agent's able to interact with somebody who might be calling about a vehicle question, but now that as a contact center agent, I know who this person is, is there something there that then further you know, uh, improves the customer experience? Yeah, absolutely. Even with, I think, an organization like the DMV. Yeah. I mean, obviously with an enterprise where you've bought products and things, they want to keep you as a loyal customer, and they want to build a relationship with you. Right. I think in the past, within DMV, we've looked at everything just as a transaction. But if you do exactly what you say, which is, now if I have information, which I think North Carolina calls it my garage, that you know are all my cars and my, you know, my driver's license mm -hmm. and, and my addresses that are registered and what dates my fees are going to be due and when I have to renew my driver's license and all these yep. things about me. And when, when are the last times I called and what things did I call about? If you have all that in one place, typically within a CRM, a customer relationship management system, you now understand that 360 view of your customer and it really does help you to support them when they call in. Say, for example, mm -hmm. they're calling in about you know, the registration on a car. Well, you can turn around and say, yeah, you know, by the way, your driver's license expires in August. Mm -hmm. You're eligible in March to go ahead and, you know, set up a renewal on that. And from what, what I see right now, you'll probably be able to do an auto renewal without having to come into the office. Providing information like that right. is going to be very beneficial. Now you're proactively telling the customer what other things are going on with their quote account right. and their DMV assets. Mm -hmm. And that's a better customer experience overall. You've now built a relationship with them instead of just managing things at a transaction level. Yeah. Now, devil's advocate though on doing that, um, and I'm curious having come primarily from the private sector to now looking at the government space. The private sector, your motivation of course, is you want a loyal return customer who's gonna buy more stuff from you and not your competitor. In the DMV space, there is no competitor. You have to go to the DMV to do these certain transactions. And so uh, your perspective on why a DMV would even want to be motivated to improve the customer experience, other than just wanting to do the right thing, you know, unlike the private sector that's being driven by, well, we want that return customer, we want to beat our competitor, 
what, what's your impression of what's driving state government agencies to want to be better in this space? Well, I think, you know, the citizens of our United States, um, as I mentioned before, but particularly with the youth, the game is being upped. The expectations are being upped. I think from the state government's perspective, they begin to see and realize the efficiencies that come with having mm. such things in place. Mm -hmm. If now they can know more about a given citizen and all their assets associated within a given department like the DMV, yep. it makes them that much more efficient as well. Oftentimes when they're treating you know, a single customer that has three cars in their household and two driver's license in the household, you know, that now has, you know, three, four, five, five different, quote, DMV assets to deal with. They treat that like five different customers. Mm -hmm. But if you could turn around and say, no, that's two customers at one household and better understand that, that's much more efficient from their standpoint mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Good, good. So what has most surprised you, not having previously worked in a government space so much, but having that private sector background, what are the things that have surprised you about how government, state governments approach their business and are tackling these challenges? I think one of the most surprising things for me has been, quite frankly, um, the procurement processes. Mm. Um, I think they're very limited in how they can go to market. They're almost required to have some sort of a third-party go-between integrator in order to take advantage of some of the bigger solutions from some of the bigger providers. Mm. And I think that's a limitation that creates unnecessary cost in the equation. Mm. You, you know, whenever you bring a middleman into play, I think that, you know, that's an inefficiency. Mm -hmm. What I'd like to see the state government do is broaden their procurement opportunities and allow for more direct relationships with, you know, competitive players that make it easier, in, you know, in the way that they go out with RFP processes and not necessarily have to have a, th a VAR or a third-party integrator in between. Mm. So that's one of the things that has surprised me. Okay. For those uh, jurisdictions that are listening that are maybe on the earlier phases, aren't as far along as, say, California or some other states where we know are already doing things, um, you mentioned start simple with one channel. But even before that, talking about all this, the modernization, the new technology procurements can sound a little bit overwhelming. What's that first bite of, of the apple? How do they start this journey? I think the first thing they have to look at is first understand what is the problem they're dealing with today, right? They have to first understand, okay, uh, you know, is there a certain percentage of customers that they're not getting to on a daily basis because they have a huge abandon rate? Or do they have problems where their handle times are really high because they have trouble accessing the information they need to, you know, help the customers? So they really need to do a really good job of introspection and understand what's the real problem they're trying to solve. Once they've done that, they should do a little bit of research and understand, well, what are the solutions out in the marketplace that exist mm -hmm. to try to solve some of those problems? Because it's likely if they have that problem, others have had it in the past, and that there are solutions, special purpose, to help them in managing that. So I think... You know, once they do that research and they, they narrow it down to, okay, well, who are some legitimate providers of those things? Mm -hmm. Then they should structure an RFP process, probably, that, you know, identifies the problem that needs to be solved. Um, and that they're asking, you know, or probably more of an RFI. So they're asking for those providers to provide the information on how they would help them solve mm -hmm. those problems. Mm -hmm. That's why they're not trying to 
do it all themselves. Yeah. They're asking for the experts out in the world to come and help them try to solve those problems and what it would take. So, um, you know, that's kind of the approach I always recommend to folks is really get down to the fundamentals of what problem are you trying to solve. And then the flip side of that, crystal ball, yep. five years, 10 years, how far out do you think the community is uh, and what does that future look like in terms of that, that next generation of contact centers that are going to be commonplace in the I, DMV community? I, I think there's going to be much more integration of natural language support. I think um, what I talked about in terms of uh, AI being able to listen to the call, mm -hmm. as an example, and to bring information to you immediately, I think that's going to get perfected over that period of time. Uh, I think that's going to really improve the overall um, uh, experience for the customer. I also think, like with the state agency, in terms of the trends that I'm seeing in DMV, um, you, you talk about that, that sense of a single customer portal and trying to manage this mm -hmm. relationship instead of these transactions. Right. I think that's going to come to fruition as well because people are beginning to realize how important that is yeah. and that it's not only important to the customer, it's also important to their own operational efficiencies. So I think, you know, the five plus years from now, yep. we're going to see a lot more integration of that natural language support and learning AI that will help build knowledge bases, that will help gain access to information to solve problems that much faster. So I think you're just, you're going to see that get perfected over that period. All right. Well, we'll look forward to that. Jay, thanks for spending some time chatting with us today. My really pleasure. appreciate it. Thank you all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.